Jabari, man, we're excited to have you a part of Revolution Church. We're looking forward to what God's going to do in your life and how you're going to be part of the body here. We're, we're really excited about that. And I, I was talking to Isaiah the other day. I said, I think we need to start a church basketball team. We've got some players joining the church. We can, <laughs> we can probably hoop it up pretty good, huh? Good. good deal. All right, well, if you're new to Revolution Church, we like to go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And currently, we're in the book of Genesis. So you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible or on your device as Jabari reads for us. Go ahead and start there. We're, gonna, we're in the second half of the chapter. Go ahead. As soon as Rachel born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when I shall provide for my own now but now when I shall provide for my own household also. He said, what shall I give you, Jacob said? You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb. And the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted. Everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastored the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks and pulper and almond and plain trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred, when they came to drink, thirty-nine the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped and speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs, before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Jabari. I appreciate you reading the scripture for us this morning. <clears throat> Anybody in here superstitious, like you don't open umbrellas inside or walk under ladders? I try not to be that way. 
I, I like sports a lot, as some of you might know, and it's interesting how much superstition is in sports. Like, for example, Serena Williams, the, the world's greatest female tennis player, when she goes to a tennis tournament, she does not change socks the entire tournament. The tournament can be eight or nine days long, and she's wearing the same pair of sweaty socks for good luck. She's a little superstitious. Any baseball players in the house? What, what do pitchers not step on? They don't step on the third baseline on their way back to the dugout or first baseline, depending on which, which uh, uh, dugout they're in. But it's bad luck for the pitcher to step on the line. Most players don't step at all, but pitchers are known to, be, to leap over the line because they don't want to come nowhere near it. Any NASCAR fans? You probably know about peanut shells. There's no peanut shells sold anywhere at a NASCAR event. They, you can buy peanuts, but they're already shelled because about 50 years ago, some crews were eating peanuts and they were just gathered around the car and they were dropping the shells on the cars of three cars. All three cars wrecked. And so ever since then, they don't, no peanut shells allowed at a NASCAR event. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings hockey team, uh, they have a tradition of throwing octopus on the ice <laughs> because octopus have how many legs? And how many games does it take to win a Stanley Cup? You have to win eight times. And so they throw live octopus, and it's really crazy. A weirder one than that is the Florida Panthers. One time before a game, the players were walking down the runway, and they saw a rat in the hallway, and they stomped it with their skate and killed the rat. They went on to win that game, and every game after that. So now they have a tradition called the rat trick, and they throw rats on the ice. Um, they're plastic, though. <laughs> Most of them are, anyway. So, um, Super, a lot of superstition in sports. And uh, last week, there was a superstition in chapter 30. Reuben was out, six-year-old little Reuben was out in the field, and he saw these mandrakes. And mandrakes were good luck for fertilization and for sexual arousal and all that stuff like that. So he picked these flowers because it was probably Mother's Day and went in and gave them to his mom. And his mom's like, oh, well, thank you. And Rachel sees Leah's flowers and she's thinking, I, I haven't had any children yet. And so, hey, would you please give me some of those mandrakes? She's like, stole my husband. Now you want to steal my flowers too? You know, and so a lot, a lot of superstition going on right there. And of course, he, Jacob goes from two wives to four. Really bad situation. And I can't say it enough. The Bible does not condone polygamy or bigamy or any of those things. In fact, the Bible is really... And a lot of people today, well, well, polygamy, you know, that's weird. But today it's not so weird to be polyamorous, to be sexually active with several people. And, and, and people will say, oh, your body count doesn't matter. But then you ask them what their body count is. Oh, that's my personal business. And they're embarrassed about it. And it's like, you know, we are people who are wired for one spouse. That's not just spiritual. That's not just religious. That's the way your brain operates. That's the way your body operates. You are designed for one person, and, and that's the most healthy way to be in a lifestyle. And when, when, we, uh, when we get into multiple spouses or multiple sexual partners, things go haywire spiritually, mentally, and physically. That's not the way that God designed us. But you guys know, what does marriage point to? It points to our relationship with God. Jesus Christ the bridegroom, and his bride, the church. 
and see the same spiritual thing is true that we are wired for one God and things go crazy when we have multiple gods. So Gary, what are you saying? Believing in Judah, Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the gods of career and education and money, the things that sometimes we put in front of God that don't belong there. And, when, and we are wired to be sold out only to Jesus. In fact, there was Jesus that says, no man can serve two masters. He'll love the one and hate the other. And so when we put other things in front of God, our love for Jesus goes down and it begins to deteriorate. Now you've been around, many of you have been around here enough to know what a chiastic structure is. I've mentioned it before and it's really important because it points to what is the heart of the passage. For those of you who don't know, a chiastic structure is like a sandwich. You've got bread, bread, and if you know what you're doing, you've got mayonnaise, mayonnaise, maybe you throw in some mustard, lettuce, but you build towards the middle, and what's in the middle of the sandwich? The meat. And what's in the middle of a chiastic structure is the main part that God wants you to know. And what's fascinating is sometimes it's in a chapter, sometimes in a passage, but sometimes they're bigger and broader. And let me tell you, Jacob's entire life is a sandwich. It's a chiastic structure. Follow along and hopefully you can see this on there. It, his, big, his story begins with the descendants of Ishmael and it ends with his descendants and has a genealogy on both sides. That's the bread of this sandwich. It goes in a little farther how Rebecca struggles in childbirth and then later Rachel struggles in childbirth. In fact, she dies from that childbirth. And then the story begins or continues that Jacob obtains or steals Esau's birthright and then Jacob, at the end, receives the blessing. It keeps going on. Rebecca's in a foreign place. And then Dinah, his daughter that we learned about last week, she goes into a foreign place and bad things begin to happen to her. And then we see that the blessing was taken from Esau when he tricked his dad. And then the blessing gift is returned to Esau when they're reunited. And then Jacob flees and goes to Haran, and he meets with the angels of God, but then Jacob returns, and Esau meets him, and the angels of God are in the story again. And as we work our way to the middle, you say Jacob arrives at Haran, and then Jacob leaves Haran, and both times deception and wages are involved. But what's at the very middle of the story? Jacob's wives are multiplied, and Jacob's, I'm sorry, Jacob, you know, Jacob's wives and his children are multiplied, and his flocks are multiplied. So what would be at the center of this passage? multiply, multiplication. That's what the heart of this passage is about. We'll talk about that. So the whole idea of being fruitful and multiply, it starts with Adam and Eve. Isn't that what he told them? He put the man in the garden and said, be fruitful and multiply. Of course, they sinned, and then uh, the human race sinned so much to the point to where God's going to destroy the earth, and he finds one righteous man and his three sons and their wives, and those eight are on the ark. The world's population is reduced to probably a billion to eight. So it's time to replenish the earth. They're like Noah and his wife, and their sons are like the new Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply, the commandment is given to them. And then God calls a man named Abraham and says, I'm going to have you be fruitful and multiply, and your descendants of this special race of people are going to be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And I'm going to make a covenant with you. And my promise will be to you and your son Isaac, who will be the promised one. And you know the whole story about Isaac and wanting to sacrifice him. And then Jacob, 
And so these men are known as the patriarchs. And God commands all three of the patriarchs to be fruitful and multiply. Israel is brought back out of captivity. And they had been decimated. Now they're told, hey, be what? Fruitful and multiply. You see this as a theme all throughout the Old Testament, but it carries over to the New Testament. You and I as believers, we have the same commandment. Be fruitful and multiply. And that, that includes bearing children. Children are a good thing. The world says that children are bad. You know, they're meant to be aborted, have as few as possible. And if you have five, it's like, what kind of weirdo are you that you have so many kids? The world looks down on having kids and, and procreation. The population in many countries around the planet is going down, and it's causing an economic crisis, especially in Japan. They do not have enough young people in their country to support the number of people who are retiring, and their whole social security system is going bankrupt because of it. China has the same economic problem. They've been saying for decades, one child, one child, if you, if you have more than one child, we will we'll force you to have an abortion. We'll throw you in jail. And now they're saying, no, please, make kids, make kids. Our economy is tanking because they've taken God's principles of being fruitful and multiplying and said it was a bad thing. So in the New Testament, though, there's other ways we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. And there's three types of fruit. You've heard me probably say this before. There's attitude fruit, which is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You know the list of nine. And then there's action fruit, the fruit of your labor. You're supposed to go out and do good works. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has before ordained them that you should walk in them, these good works. And then there's addition fruit. You're supposed to tell others about Christ, and they are fruit to your account. And so these are the three types of fruit that we're supposed to be engaged in, being fruitful and multiplying. So let's divide Genesis up into just three sections here, Genesis 30 that is. First of all, we see Jacob getting sidetracked by a counteroffer. He wants to go back to the promised land, but Laban gives him a counteroffer, and he decides to stay. And then Jacob is tricked again. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Same song, second verse. He's, he's giving in to Laban's tricks. And then the third category, blessed in spite of sinfulness. Blessed in spite of his sinfulness. So, verse 25, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, so we, we don't know if this is hours or days, but like as soon as the baby's born, the baby's born healthy, Jacob's out the door said, hey, Laban, it's time for me to go. And he says, send me away because this is a shame and honor culture. Laban's the head of the clan. You don't really move away without some type of blessing and permission. In our Western culture, you know, as soon as you're 18, you do what you want. You don't give anybody notice or whatever. You just say, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going. I'm doing one. You know, and so... Sometimes out of respect, you'll tell your parents things like that. But in a clan culture, you know, this is, this is a big deal to move. You really need permission from the head of the clan, not condoning this. I'm just saying this is the way the culture they were living in. He says, so send me away that I may go to my own home and my own country. Right now, Jacob doesn't have much of a home. He hasn't built any resources. And remember, that was part of Laban's trick. He's like, well, you're your family. I should, why should I not pay you? And really, he was trying to pay him a daily wage so he wouldn't get cut in on the inheritance. And so he wants, but Jacob wants to establish his own home, but he also wants to go back to the promised land. He says, now give me, so it's interesting, he's already worked for all this, but again, it's a clan mentality. Give me my wives and my children, release them. We want your permission. We want you to honor this. We want you to bless it. And we don't want to just sneak out. 
for, but he will do that later, for whom I have served, that I may go, go, for you know the service I have given to you. And I think there's a dig here. <laughs> you know you tricked me. <laughs> I wanted to marry your daughter. I said I'd work for seven years. I ended up working for how long, people? Fourteen. You know what you did to me. You really shouldn't hold me back from, from leaving at this point. But Laban said, well, if you have found favor in your sight, you know, if you, if you think favorably of all, which he probably didn't, I have learned by divination. This is a curious phrase here. This, divination is not good. Divination is forbidden in the Bible. And he, but he with bad things, which is what religious people do. Religious people have these weird way of doing things, but they're always talking about God. And this is not good what he's doing. In fact, Deuteronomy later, Moses is the one writing this, and Moses is also the one who wrote Deuteronomy and gave us the Ten Commandments, which included some of these other later commandments. He said, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. That's pretty bad, right? But look what these people also do. By the way, a saline abortion is burning the baby alive inside the mother's womb. So we haven't gone too far from these pagans here. It says, offering anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or sorcerer. These things were forbidden in the nation of Israel. These things still go on today. These are tarot cards. I know people who claim to be Christians who dabble in this kind of thing. You don't want to. God forbids it, and you're inviting the demonic into your life. This is a Ouija board. People, you probably messed around with this when you were a kid. Hopefully not, but... We did when I was kids, and it, it's just a scary thing to be involved in. Um, you see these all over town, palm readers. Do they have any of those in Port Arthur? Yeah. So people are into the superstitious. They read their horoscopes. I remember one time I was at work, and this lady asked me what sign I was. I was like, what? She said, you know, are you Sagittarius, Taurus, whatever? I said, well, I'm Pisces because I was born in March, but that's all I know about it, that stuff. I, I'm not into horoscopes. She goes, oh, and she went on and on about how these horoscopes are amazing and how she reads hers every day and she follows it. And I'm like, well, have you read today's yet? And she said, no, I wanted to. I said, well, here's the paper. I said, what did you say you were? She says, I'm Aquarius. I said, okay, cool. And I read a horoscope to her. And she goes, that's exactly, that has been my day. I said, well, I actually just read you the wrong one. I just tricked her to show her that it's just foolishness. You can read into whatever you want. And you can dismiss this stuff, but you should because it's evil. It's just flat wrong. And these are things you do not want to be involved in. In fact, you can go online and guess what? You can buy a Ouija board that's called the Holy Spirit board, geared for Christians. Instead of, instead of a heart-shaped device with a magnifying glass on it, you take a cross and you hover around the board and God will speak to you. Not the right God, okay? So here's why this is wrong. God has chosen to communicate to us through his Holy Spirit, and the primary tool, the sword of the Spirit is what, people? The Word of God. The Word of God. You want God to speak to you? Open up the pages of his book. Open up the YouVersion app and let God speak to you. And let the Holy Spirit teach you what he's trying to say through his Word. But when you say, well, you know what? I want to know what to do with my life. I want some wisdom. I want some guidance, but I don't want God. Is there anybody else out there who would be willing to give me advice? And Satan's like, go get them, demons. You are inviting that into your life. 
You are opening up your life, and that's where demonic possession and things like that happen. Now, we don't see that as much in our Western culture because Satan is very subtle. He hides his possessions, and he hides his, his influence in people's lives. But you go into other countries, and you see it flat out open because the people are very spiritually minded, so Satan doesn't mind to be right out there in the open. But you should avoid these things as a believer. But Laban, he's showing he's a pagan. He's like, well, God told me, but he told me through divination. Now, whether that was casting lots or reading tea leaves, or we don't know exactly what he did, but what he did was wrong. He says, so name your wages, I'll give it. Now, what was Jacob's plan? We're going back to the promised land. Remember Abraham, when he wanted to find an, a wife for Isaac, he said, I'm not going, and Isaac's not going. Eliezer, go find him a wife, because I want to stay exactly where God called me to be. I don't want to get lost or stuck out there. I want to be exactly where I want to be. But guess where Jacob's been for the last 14 years? Away. He's been away because he's been sidetracked. And he says, so name your wages and I'll give it. And Jacob said to him, you yourself know I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me. Remember when Jacob first came and they were doing the flocks and he's like, well, what do you water them in the middle of the day for? And they moved the rock for him. He's like, let me show you how to be a shepherd. And of course, he kind of took over as a manager and the flocks exploded under him and he was very successful because he, that was his main thing. That's what he knew how to do. He says, for you had, little be, you had little before I came. You had a little operation here, and man, I have increased your, your operation here abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. You're the one benefiting from all my hard work. And of course, there's two ways of looking at this. One is God promised that his descendants would be a blessing to everybody, everywhere, everyone everywhere they went. But he's also making a dig here as well that like you're, you're the one benefiting from all my hard work, but now, when shall I provide for my own household? You know, it's time for me. I'm, I'm, in, I'm getting much, much older here, and yet I have nothing to show for it. And he said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. In other words, I'm going to work for it, okay? You don't have to give me anything. If you will do this for me, and I will again, <laughs> like for the past 14 years, I'm going to do this all over again, pasture your flock and keep it. What happened to going to the promised land? You see how... Quickly he got sidetracked because Laban started talking money. And would not have God provided all the flocks Jacob needed in the promised land? Would he not have provided a home? Would he not provide provisions, food, shelter, everything? But Jacob's not trust, trusting in the Lord. He's trusting in Laban. And that's, that's a bad situation. He's seeing an opportunity and he's seizing upon it. That's what Jacob did throughout his whole life. Saw an opportunity, tricked somebody, got what he wanted. Abraham didn't want him to leave the promised land. He didn't want Isaac to leave the promised land. But here we got him because Abraham didn't want to be sidetracked. And yet here's Jacob. Because of greed, he's getting sidetracked again. Same song, second verse. So he says, so let me pass through your flock today. Let me, I want to do this myself because you know why? Why do you think Jacob's saying, let me do this? Because I don't trust you. You've tricked me before. And you're... He said, here's what I want to do. I want to remove from your flock everything that's speckled, spotted, and every black lamb. You know how they talk about the black sheep of the family? You know, systematically in, in any flock, every now and then, through latent genes, a black sheep will show up. And for thousands of years, it's not been the ideal. You want all your sheep to be white. You want all of your goats to be black or brown. And, and spotted and speckled has not been ideal. I think they're pretty cute. But this is what 
This is what Jacob's saying. Hey, I'll take these guys, the ones you don't want. I'm going to go through, and I'm going to pick all them out. And he's doing this for two purposes. Number one, I'm going to take the undesirable out of your flock. But number two, I will be able to tell what's mine. And I'll be able to tell what's yours. And you can't accuse me of stealing anything because it's got my name written all over it. Specked, spottled, and, and striped. Those will be mine. So he says, and the spot is speckled among the goats. So he did the lambs, the sheep, and the goats. They will be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. I don't know if Jacob really realized what he just said. Here he's doing something where he's setting it up to where there will be no provision for the flesh. Everything will be above board and accountable. There will be no question. Wait, is that one mine or yours? Or there's like changing out tags or whatever may be involved in livestock there. It's obviously if it's speckled or spotted, it's mine. Don't touch mine. I won't touch yours. But they set up a system where there could be accountability, where the honesty would be obvious. And he says it'll answer for me later. I had a situation like this a long time ago. Long, long time ago, I had a little, I had a little uh, Lexus ES300. This was the older model car. This was the, basically a Toyota Camry on steroids. But man, I love that car. I paid cash for the car because what had happened was I got in a car accident. Someone had totaled my car. They gave me a few thousand dollars for the car, but then I sold the car as is because it was in demand, the engine and stuff like that. I got a couple more thousand dollars. So for $5,500, I bought this ES300, and I enjoyed that car. Uh, it went really fast. It didn't do good on gas, but one day I went to Walmart to get some tires. Not recommending it. I recommend discount tires, okay? But anyway, so uh, they were changing the tire, and so I went in there, and I told the lady what type of tire I wanted and the size and everything like that, and so she rang me up, and I paid for the, car, for the tire. I went and sat down, and she comes back out. She said, oh, Mr. Milborn, she said, we are out of stock of that tire. The only one we have is about $29 more than that tire. And I said, well, I need a tire, so go ahead and do it. She said, okay. So they put the tire on and like that. And then, I, then about 35 minutes later, she comes out and said, your car's ready. I went up and got the keys to my car, and I said, so you said it was $29 more, but I haven't paid the difference. She goes, oh oh my gosh, she said, thank you for catching that. She said, I would have gotten in big, big trouble. I could have lost my job over that because they're really cracking down on missing you know, money and things like that. So I paid the extra amount. And she said, I really appreciate your honesty on telling me that because she'd already handed me the keys and everything. And I said, well, I said, it's, it's, it's right to be honest and do the right thing. I said, and you never know when later you'll have to believe me on something. Well, those words turned out to be a perfect because I went out to my car on the back left pan, quarter panel of the car, it was scraped badly. And that scrape was not there before I brought the car in. The guy had picked up the tire, and instead of putting it in the trunk the right way, this way, he tried to go over the side, and he scraped at my quarter panel really bad. And so I went inside, and I said, hey, remember that whole thing about honesty about the tire, and you might have to believe me, my honesty might have to pay later? I said, come look at something. We went out and looked at the car, and she said, and I said, I promise you, that was not there before. And she said, I believe you because of what happened inside. And so I got a check for $475 from Walmart to repaint the back quarter panel of my car. You know, be honest, young people, and be honest, older people. It always pays. It always pays. You never know when your honesty will be something that has to be looked at later, and you will answer for it. So he's, he 
he divides up the goats. Uh, he, his plan is to get the speckled spot out of the goats, the lambs, and all that. And then he says, if, if, if any are found with me, they'll be counted as stolen. So if you come out and speck my flock and there's something that's just solid white or solid brown or black, you know it's yours and you can, count as, you can accuse me of stealing if you want to. So there's accountability built in. And Laban says, good, let it be as you have said. This, this in Hebrew is kind of awkward, and I don't really have a clear-cut answer on this, but some commentators have said that it's like, oh, that would be good if you'd actually do what you say. Because he's, it's kind of like a backhanded uh, rebuke. And so either way, remember the last time when he negotiated over Rachel, and he said, he never said yes to the deal. He said, let me work for you seven years. He goes, well, I don't want to give her to somebody else. He never said yes to the deal. Here it appears he says yes, but he does it maybe in a bad way. But now we move on to being tricked again because Laban's going to be Laban. But that same day, Laban, and it's implied here that he secretly removed all the male goats that were striped and spotted. No, and it, let me tell you, the devil's in the details. So he's going to go in, he's going to wipe them all out. So now, where is Jacob going to get spotted, speckled, and striped? It's going to have to come from two white lambs or, or sheep mating, and hopefully, mathematically, those two latent genes will line up. And that's what, now, now how long is he going to wait before he has any flock at all? Well, sheep take approximately three months before they, are, they can mate, and then about six months after that. So we're talking nine months at the soonest before he's going to see anything that belongs to him. Tricked again by Laban, because Laban's just being what Laban does. You know people like that? They just can't trust them as far as you can throw them? That's Laban here. Everyone that had white on it and everyone land that had black on it, and he put them in charge of his sons. Laban steals all the sheep out of the flock that Jacob was negotiating for and gives them to his sons, and because he doesn't trust Jacob, guess what he does? He set a distance of three days' journey, probably 40 miles away, so that you cannot get to your sheep. It's got, you're going to you're gonna have to start over from scratch here. Laban is, the, is tricking the trickster. Because Jacob, remember, that's what his name means. He's the heel gripper. He's the one that trips people up. But he's met his match in Laban. Let me ask you, church, to be very careful about who you have business partnerships with. Okay, We all talk about not being unequally yoked. That is not just talking about marriage only. In fact, look at the context here. Do not be unequally yoked. Let's talk about what a yoke is. Two oxen, two donkeys, two horse. They could pull a plow side by side and you put this wooden yoke over them to force them to work together. And if, they, if, if you took a very large oxen and paired it with a smaller donkey, it would hurt both of them because they uh, the yoke would be crooked, and sometimes yokes had like a sharpened edge, so it poked them in the side if they decided to not work together. And it was a very painful partnership, literally. It says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with, un with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? So you see those words there. Partnership, fellowship, this idea of being joined together. Now, I'm not saying you can't work for an unbeliever or hire unbelievers to work for you. But when you decide to be part owners together or you have lots of money invested together, be very 
very careful. In fact, I would recommend if it's a legal level partnership of a higher order, if they're not believers, I would not be involved in it. That, that's my interpretation of the verse. That not, so it includes business relationships and marriage, and both of them can hurt you if you don't follow that advice. Proverbs 22.3, in fact, it's repeated word for word in tw- chapter 27. It says, the prudent man sees danger and hides himself or protects himself. You look at these potential situations and say, you know what, I don't know if I want to be in this kind of partnership. I don't want to be in this marriage with an unbeliever. I need to just say no to that. But guess what the simple does, the fool does? They just go on, and guess what they do? They suffer. They suffer for it. So Jacob is now suffering because he keeps entering into agreements with an ungodly man who's using a Ouija board. Proverbs 26, 11. It's, it's like a dog that returns to his vomit. I love dogs. I'm a dog person. I got three dogs at home. But dogs can be gross. And you, I love my dog, but my dog does not kiss me. You let your dog lick you on the lips and kiss you, you got, they, that tongue has been in many places I don't even want to talk about, including vomit, okay? So they're, they're dogs, okay? You love them, you hug them, but I don't do the kissing thing. If you do, I'll pray for you, okay? That's, anyway, um, sorry if I heard anybody spilling there. <laughs> I'm sure I did. Anyway, I do believe that all dogs go to heaven and cats go to hell, just so you know. Okay, um, so we can, re- here's Jacob. Once again, he's in a foolish situation. Why does he keep doing this? He's just like that dog that returns to its vomit. He's been tricked again. Now we move to the third point. He, but yet God blesses him in spite of his sinfulness. He blesses Laban, who's a lost man, because that's the promise. Anybody who blesses Israel will be blessed, okay? And and he's blessing Jacob, even though he's tricking people out of their birthright. He's deceiving dad. He's not staying in the promised land. And he said, well, Gary, that doesn't sound fair. Um, have you been blessed in spite of your disobedience? I think we all raise our hands on that one for sure. Um, you, as Jabari was reading this, it got kind of weird there. He peels sticks, and he puts them in the water, and they breed, and they read more spotted, speckled, and striped. And like, what is, what's up with all these sticks? Well, Jacob's trying some selective breeding. Yes, that, that's common sense. He took the stronger ones, kept them away from the weaker ones. Laban, he's trying to trick Laban back and, and all that stuff. That's just selective breeding. But really what's going on here is a whole lot of superstition. A whole lot of superstition. Some people say, well, it does something to the water to help them breed and whatever. No, no. He, in the ancient world, they thought that when... when uh, a female was in the midst of breeding. Whatever she saw, that would determine the color or the, the texture of the, of the baby. So if she saw stripes, she'd have a striped baby. If she saw a spot, she'd have a spotted baby. And so what he's doing is he's trying to put stripe and, and carve out notches in the wood and, and all these things and put them in the water. And, and then, of course, the water is where the, the sheep came to drink. They're thirsty. And then just like adults, they go and they drink and then they mate. You know, that's just the way it works in some people. So it's kind of like the bar for sheep and lambs, I guess. And so they're hanging out there, not, not endorsing that, okay? Chapter 31, then the angel, here, here's the explanation of what was going on there. In case you think that he knew something about breeding livestock and that if you trim the sticks a certain way, you can get certain animals, that, again, superstition. Here's, next chapter, when we'll study next week, here's the explanation. The angel of the Lord God said to me in a dream, lift up your eyes and see, and all the uh, goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and modified, for I have seen all Laban's doing to you. God says, I'm going to take care of you. I know Laban's tricking you. 
and the very day you made the agreement, he stole all the ones that were going to be yours. I'm going to watch out for you. So this wasn't about sticks. This wasn't some superstitious thing that he did that worked. God was watching out for him. And then it's interesting. It says, thus the man. What's the man's name? Jacob. Why does it call him the man? Because this is a hyperlink back to Genesis. The man and the woman in the garden were being fruitful and multiplying. And, and here he's calling the man like he's a type of Adam, the man. This is the ish. This is a word that is often referred to as the Adam. It's not the Adam, but it's the ish. The, the man increased greatly and he had large flocks. He made enough uh, multiplication there that he could sell 40, and I'm just making up a number, 40 sheep and say, hey, can I buy a female servant? Can I buy a male servant? Let me buy some camels. He's multiplying so rapidly that he's able to buy things. And if you, if you had a camel in those days, that was like having a Hummer. That was like the car of cars. That was the amazing thing to have. He's got camels, he's got donkeys, which can now produce more work. And so this guy is killing it. When before, remember, worked for 14 plus years and had nothing to show with him for, but four wives who weren't happy. Now he's got you know, a, a plantation going on here. But it's interesting that God blessed Laban as a lost pagan in spite of his evil, evil against Jacob. Now, he didn't bless him as much as he blessed Jacob. God was showing him something here. But remember, Jacob said, when I came here, you had very little, and now you've had very much. And then God blessed Jacob in spite of his constant manipulation and superstition. This is what the Bible, or what theologians call common grace. Common grace. Where God blesses everybody, not because of what you do or what you, who you are, but because of what he does and who he is. God, here Jesus says this way in in Matthew chapter 5, your father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain. In this case, rain is a good thing because if you're living in an agrarian society, you pray for rain. So the sunshine and the rain work together to make you rich. They make your crops grow, they make your animals thrive, and they make all those things happen. And God does that for who? For the just and the unjust, on the evil and on the good. Sometimes we get frustrated with that. You might have a relative, uh, a neighbor, so a coworker, and they seem like they're doing better than you. Like, man, I'm going to church and I'm reading my Bible and I'm trying to do all these things and remain faithful. And they're out there just partying it up and being unfaithful and being unhonest, dishonest and unethical. And they seem like they're getting ahead. That's just God's grace. They'll still be held accountable for their sins. And there'll be consequences for their sins in this life and in the next. But God causes the sun to rise on everybody. And he does that because he's good. And when you choose to reject God and you choose you don't want to accept Christ as your Savior, you're rejecting everything, not just the religious life. You're rejecting the sunshine, the good food, the air that you breathe, the peace and comfort of everything. You're rejecting all that that goes with it. And that's what hell is. Hell is the absence not only of God, but of everything that he, good that he provides. You're basically in hell. You're in a vacuum. It's darkness. There's no comfort. It, so the opposite of comfort is pain. You're basically when you kick God out. It's like if, if a couple was living together, again, not recommending it, and one of them owned everything. And they said, I, I don't want to live with you anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't, I don't want to... 
I don't want to be in this relationship. And they say, okay, fine, I'll move out. And you wake up the next morning, the refrigerator's gone, the television's gone, the couch's gone. You're like, wait, what happened? Well, all this goes with me because you reject me, you reject all my stuff. And that's just a small, uh, awkward illustration of living in hell. You'll find yourself alone and getting what you deserve because God's goodness is not deserved, okay? How many of you know who Dave Ramsey is? Yeah, I, I, I'm a b- big believer in him, and uh, I've practiced what he's said, and it's paid off dividends in my life. And there's a phrase that he says all the time. If you ask him how he's doing, he will say what? Better than I deserve. And so I say that phrase often. Some people, you'll, a lot of you ask me how I'm doing. I'll say I'm doing better than I deserve. And I'll often say, you know, that's a Dave Ramsey thing. And so I go to the grocery store. I'll go to Aldi. And, uh, and the, the checkout person scanning my stuff and they'll say, hey, how are you doing today? I say, I'm doing better than I deserve. And they'll go, and I've gotten all kinds of different reactions. Everything like, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about because they've listened to Dave Ramsey. Or they'll be like, oh, that's a weird phrase. And then I'll explain it. I'm like, well, God is good to me way beyond what I deserve. And then some people respond, well, I'm sure you deserve it. I'm sure you're a good person. And that's just the human nature is we all think we're basically good and what we've got, we deserve. That's not true. Do you realize that you, everybody in this room, you are the 5% who won the economic lottery by being born in America? You could have mathematically been born in a Sudan. You could have mathematically easily been born in Ethiopia. Did you know in Ethiopia right now, since January of this year, from January to April, the, the Muslim terrorists have killed 1,000 Christians in the first four months of this year. Since 2009, they've killed over 50,000 Christians. They were on the CPC list, at the, I forget what it stands for, the, concern, the Country of Political Concern. It's a list that country, it's really a, a politically correct name. It's, it's, these are countries that we should be concerned about what's happening there. And this has been happening to, since 2009. This administration took Ethiopia, who's killing Christians, off the CPC list. Oh, we don't care about that. And I'm not choosing parties here. I'm just saying we act like it's no big deal for Christians to kill Christians, I mean, for Muslims to kill Christians. 50,000 since 2009. Total Christian villages are being wiped out. You could have been born there. And you could say, well, I live in a nice house and I drive what I do because I'm smart and I went to college. Yeah. That's 10% of it. 90% of you were born in America in a land of opportunity. Okay? And is America perfect? No. But you need to thank God that you live better than 95% of the world. There are people waking up every day wondering what they're going to eat and how they're going to get it. And we go to our fridge and we've got enough food to feed a village between our fridge and our pantry. So are we doing better than we deserve? All of us are. And, and, and I say that phrase because it, it's a quick conversation changer to the gospel. Because we naturally think, I'm okay, I'm a good person. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm basically getting what I deserve. No, you are not. Not even close. If you want to talk about getting what you deserve, we would all deserve to be born in worse situations. And all that is because of grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor when he gives you what you do not deserve. And the greatest picture of God's grace is Jesus Christ. God shows his love for us. And even while we, while we were actively sinning against God, 
He died for us. Do you realize that Jesus Christ, in love, went to the cross and died for the very Roman soldiers who were putting the nails in his hands? Yes, even them, the ones who were spitting on him, cursing him, who stripped all of his clothes off him, okay? We see pictures of Jesus on the cross, and he's got a nice little you know, apron on, something to cover. No, it was brutal scene. He was totally naked, beaten and bloodied for all to see, spat upon, beaten for 36 hours, hung on a cross for three hours, dehydrated. He did all that for people who shook their fist in his face. You say, well, Gary, if I was there around the cross, I would have told the others to stop it. I doubt it. I really think our voice would have cried out, crucify him, crucify him, just like the crowd did. Because the only reason we even recognized this was wrong and that this was love is because of the grace of God. The Bible says that he saved us, not because of works done by us. <laughs> you really think you're good enough to earn salvation? None of us are. Not me, not any one of us. It's not because of anything good we've done by our righteousness, but it's according to his own mercy. Grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve, and mercy is when he doesn't give you what you do deserve. Gary deserved the cross. Julian deserved the cross. All of us deserve those nails and that crown of thorns. But God said, no, no, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to put it on my son Jesus who deserved none of this. That's the gospel. That's how we can truly say I'm doing better than I deserve. And he, so he did that according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost. When someone realizes, I am a sinner, I need a Savior, I deserve to be punished, but look at this man who took my place. I put my faith in him. He did it all. That's why Jesus said on the cross, what was his last three words? It is finished. In, in Greek, it was one word, totalistai, means paid in full, paid in full. Everything that could be done, that needed to be done to save your soul was done, paid in full on the cross. You can't contribute your baptism to it. You can't keep the Ten Commandments to contribute to it. You can't give money. You do anything to contribute to your salvation. You simply accept it as a free gift that was totally, totally paid for. Have you been washed? When you accept Christ as Savior, you're washed. All your sins are washed away. You are made a new creature in Christ at the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Have you made that decision? You can make that today. Romans 10 says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you have to accept Christ as Lord. You can't say, well, I just don't want to go to hell, so give me an insurance policy here. But I don't really want to live for Jesus. No, you have to say, I'm going to live for Christ. He gave his life for me. I give my life to him. And you believe in your heart that he died on the cross, was buried, and what? God raised him from the dead. If you do that, when you make that decision, you will be saved. Have you been saved? Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads, and I'm going to ask everyone here who does know Christ as Savior, take a moment and thank the Lord that you are doing better than you deserve. And would you also pray for those who don't yet know Christ? Father in heaven, thank you so much for loving us. Lord, you loved Jacob. You loved Laban. And these men who were so foolish and superstitious, yet stitious, and that you blessed them anyway because you are good. You are gracious, even to those who don't believe in you. Father, I pray that you would uh, 
speak to hearts this morning. If there's one or two here this morning, or maybe someone watching online who's never crossed over that line of faith and put their faith in the finished work of Christ, I pray they would do that today. They would make Jesus Lord of their life and, and believe that he died personally for them and that he rose again and promises eternal life to all who trust him. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you bless us with so much that we don't deserve, and yet we're not always thankful as we should be. Lord, help us to take a moment right now to just thank you for salvation. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our church. We thank you for our freedom. Lord, again, we just can't thank you enough for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you, uh, if you made a decision to trust Christ, let me know about it. There's my cell phone number. Please text me or call me. Or if you want to know more, maybe you're like, Gary, I'm still not there. I have questions. Let, let's, good. let's have a conversation. And uh, I'll buy you a cup of coffee and we'll, and we'll talk. Um, right now we're going to have a question and answer session. <clears throat> um, let's see. Julian, would you do me a favor? Would you hand me my phone right there? I left it down there. <clears throat> you can text in your question anytime to the number right there. And if you have a question for Julian, you can ask that right now too. Uh, let me see if there's any questions. In Ashley, would you come help me with question and answer? No questions yet. Wow. Usually you guys are piling on the questions. And if you want to just raise your hand, maybe if you don't have a receptionist, you can raise your hand and ask a question now. So how are you doing this morning, Ashley? Pretty good. 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 Thing. Oh, there we go. Okay. Not that I really need it, but um, yeah, doing well. Thanks. Good. Um, so I'll, I'll ask a question. So before you were talking about, th this has always boggled my mind, like God's grace versus mercy versus chance. And I get asked this question fairly often too. Like what, the question is, do you believe that every single thing happens for a reason and to what degree? Or do you think that some things might be left to chance? It's both. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll eliminate chance because I, I thought you were going to say choice. Okay, so the answer is, if you had said choice, I was going to say both. It, it, no, nothing is left to chance. Uh, we don't believe in coincidence. We believe in providence. God is sovereign over all. Jesus said, not even a sparrow falls from a tree and dies without your heavenly Father knowing it. So uh, many other writers have talked, Jonathan Edward talks about how a grain of sand blown by the wind doesn't even tumble over another grain of sand without your heavenly Father being in control. So I believe God is totally sovereign over everything that happens in the universe, including our choice, which sounds like an oxymoron, but it's beyond our brain to comprehend. I'm not a Calvinist. I do believe we do have free choice. And I believe that the Bible says over and over again, things like whosoever will may come, but yet at the same time, God knows who's going to come. You know, And often, Julian, you've probably heard this a hundred times, that as you enter the gates of heaven, it's said that on the outside, it'll say, whosoever will may come in. And when you get on the inside, on the other side of the side, it says, I knew you would. You know, and so who's in control? Are we in control of our choices or in God in control? Yes. Okay, just like I've said a hundred times, Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. Well, you can't be 200%. Well, Jesus can. He can be totally human and totally God. And you can be, God can be totally sovereign and you have free will. And the two don't have to be reconciled because they are two sides of the same coin. It's like if I ask my kids what kind of pizza they want, I know what they're going to tell me. Exactly. There you go. Great illustration. All right. Any, any other questions? Patrick? Yeah. Great, great observation. In fact, I read one commentator who said exactly that and was adamant that 
Jacob was acting in faith and using this as a tool for a miracle. The reason I didn't go that route is because the, one, the very illustration Jesus gave with Moses and, and um, Naaman and others like it, uh, even the widow with her oil, it's because either God or a man of God told them to do it, and they did. Here, Jacob has no instruction from God. He's not even asking God. He's doing what the, the pagans around him did. He, he did what the pagans around him did by marrying multiple wives and concubines, you know, the, the maidservants. He's just blending with the culture like a backslidden Christian. And this is what people did in those days to get spotted, striped, and whatever, if they wanted that for some reason. And most of the time they did it by color. They'd put something black if they wanted a black sheep, but they would put white and things like that. So I gave the benefit of the doubt to, well, I, I, I defaulted to, he's doing what Jacob does. He's acting like the culture around him. But that's an excellent point. Good for you, Patrick. I would say that if, if, if it was God, then God would get the credit for that by usually saying, God said. Yeah. And then Jacob would get the credit for being faithful by saying that he did what God told him to do. Mm-hmm. God does God does get the credit for everything. I think you've yeah. got a question. All right. There you go. Okay. Could Jacob have avoided being tricked? How? And how did he feel being tricked for so long? So... um, Let's start with the first trick that Laban pulled on him. You know, he wanted to marry Rachel. He never got a specific yes. And um, he could have specifically said, and I mean Rachel, whatever. Of course, the reason Laban justified his switch in the daughters is he said, well, where you come from, you can sit there and pull that on your dad, having the younger pass up the older. But we don't do that here. (laughs) He's basically saying, you know, you pull those tricks over there. I'm not doing that, playing that game here. He could have also said, hey, legal contract here. Uh, you, you, def- you defrauded me, but he consummated the wedding in his foolishness. And as we said last week, he could have said, you know what? I consummated the wedding. This didn't go the way I wanted, but I'm going to stick with one woman and Leah will be the one. And you see that God blessed her more than she had half of his kids. And the others, you know, he had through sinful means, or maybe not Rachel, well, yeah, Rachel would be simple because it was bigamy. You should have married twice. So anyway, um, and also in this situation, he could have said, let, he did ask, let me go through the flock. And Laban beat him to it. So he could have defaulted on the deal and said, hey, I said, let me go through the flock. You went through it. I'm out of here. But again, uh, he still got blessed in spite of all of it. Um, but the, the lesson here is, Think twice about decisions made in haste. Proverbs talks about a lot about the hasty spirit. And a lot of the dumb decisions that almost everyone in this room has made, you probably made it in a hurry when you felt pressure, right? The, the decisions you've took in, taken some days and even weeks to pray about and even fast over, probably some of your better decisions. Some of the cars you bought were like, oh, you kind of pressured us into sales and we really wanted a car. We didn't want to drive that one home. We bought it. And now we're like, oh, I can't believe I got that $627 car note. You know, so just be be patient with your decision. So um, I have another a follow up question. Okay. So we're talking about superstition. We're talking about not consulting cards and tables and we whatever palm mm-hmm. readers. Yeah. But the priests during the days of the tabernacle and of the temple used something to make yeah. decisions called Urim and Thummim. Yeah. How would you say that's different? It's different because God's the one instructed them to use it. And the, here's the big thing. It was in the absence of Scripture. We've got 66 books. The priests had five. Okay? And so when, and it was also a theocracy. 
So God is telling this specific nation under this, under this, this specific set of circumstances, here's what you do. I'll have a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, and then for other real specific decisions, I'll speak to the priest and we'll have these, we don't know if the stones glowed or if they cast the stones and they arranged in a certain way, but this was all God's instructions. Again, in the absence of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, what did it say? The Holy Spirit came upon Samson. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon us. He comes what? Within us. We've got him in, outside, all over us. Not just because you know how the Holy Spirit says, and the Holy Spirit left Saul. So the Holy Spirit was something that came upon for certain circumstances and then left. We have him eternally inside of us, which is amazing. So that's great. Good, good follow-up question there. Yeah, that's Any it. others? All right. Well, let's stand. And we're going to read a benediction of Scripture over one another as God's blessing for this week, okay? Would you read with me from Numbers chapter 6 together on verse 24? To you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. God bless y'all. You're dismissed.